This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Tom Kissingberry here. Nah, I'm just kidding. We don't have Tom Kissingberry money. It's just me, Peter Howard, and Jake Anderson meeting at the Dynasty Crossroads once a week for 30 minutes to talk about one player at a time. We look at the film with Jake, we talk about the analytics with me, and we try to come to a consensus. We do have a pretty cool theme song, though. Peter crunches numbers and Jake just grinds that tape. wild wild place i mean you talk about a roller coaster of just emotions a roller coaster of uh personalities a roller coaster of this fake tough guy bravado you see it all on twitter every single day and when it comes to fantasy football the the biggest <laughs> just crazy town place there is is this whole film versus analytic debate and i'm not getting in that today i just wanted i, I was really thinking about why Film-based analysis is so subjective. What is it about it? Like, I understand that we can each watch the same play and come to a different, you know, agreement on said player, player. But why is that? Why is it so subjective? And the reason being, the reason I came to is because we all have different experiences with the game of football. Some of us were able to play the game at the high school level, at the college level, at the pro level. Some of us coached. Some of us never played. And you view the game from a completely different viewpoint, a completely different lens, which I think there's value in all of it. Now, how that value is weighted, uh, I've got my opinion on that, but I'll save it. I see so many people on Twitter trying to puff their chest out about their process, what they see. He's not good at this. He's not a good route runner. He doesn't have good vision. His feet aren't quick. He's not good at pass pro. How the f*** do you know? Seriously. Who are you to tell me that I don't know what a good route is, that I don't know what good pass pro is? I mean, how, how do you know? Majority of the people that I see doing this, are the, those, those are the individuals who decided in July that they were going to do this. I'm going head first. I'm diving in. I'm going to be an analyst. So then they got some courage and they started tweeting some of their thoughts and opinions out and they got a couple of people who follow them and now they got a couple of more. So now six months, Twitter scout training school. Now you're now you're a pro. Now you can tell me what I need to be looking for in a prospect. <laughs> Whoo, man, what a time to be alive, I tell you. And listen, I'm all for those who want to give this a go, who want to give this a shot, who want to become a fantasy analyst. I'm all for it, man. Do your thing. But relax and chill out on the self-centered bravado that you know best because none of us know anything. Like, if I knew, if I was all-knowing, if I was that good, I promise you, I wouldn't be producing this own show. I wouldn't be on Twitter arguing with fools. Like, I wouldn't be doing this. So it's I'm, I'm all for going out there and making it happen. If that's your dream, go for it and make it happen. But chill out relax. If I don't think he's good <laughs> at running between the tackles, let it be. You don't got to argue me to death about it because I see a bunch of bad takes out there, but I'm not going around arguing you down about it. Who cares? Chill out. Chill out. And uh, if this rubs you the wrong way, 
if this makes you upset, if this gets your blood boiling, then I don't care. Uh, because I'm not talking about any one individual. I'm talking about overall. But if it does rub you the wrong way, then I guess I'm talking about you. But what I do, I want it to be entertaining. I do not subscribe to the notion that you have to believe what I say. Don't. I have to believe what I say. I know that there are a lot of people who don't have the time to watch college football on Saturday. So what I want to do is provide some insight into what I see. And then hopefully what you do is take that information, go back, do your own studying and use your own process and figure out if that's a guy that you like or dislike. That's it. I want to be fun. I want to entertain you. I want to provide some information, give you a snapshot, and then you go do your deep dive. I'm not going to tell you you're dead ass wrong about this player. Very rarely will I do that. Sometimes I will. Jalen Rager, I will. But for the most part, I'm not going to do that. And I want to provide different eyes, different lenses, different viewpoints to understand what somebody else sees, because I think there is value in that. And it is important. And on this show today, we've got a great guest who's going to provide that insight, that different lens, that different viewpoint. And hopefully we gain something to make ourselves better in this game of a game that we play. It's all about growth and learning and getting better. And very rarely do I have an opportunity to bring a guest on who had the chance, who was blessed and fortunate enough to play the game that we love, college football, at the absolute highest level. The person that I'm interviewing this evening not only played at the highest level, he excelled, his team excelled, so much so that they won the national championship. He was able to play in what some consider the greatest college football game of all time, the University of Texas versus USC, Matt Leinert versus uh, Vince Young, Reggie Bush, the Texas defense, all of those greats. And he's stopping by the DDP this evening to just give us his thoughts, his experiences, his opinions, what he looks at when he's playing fantasy football. And I could not be more thrilled to introduce Marcus Myers, former national champion, to have a conversation with us on the DDP. Welcome to the show, Marcus. I appreciate you having me, right, man. Yeah, it's, it's good to be able to get on here and, and chop it up with you. As you know, we uh we text, we talk in our group chats all the time about this stuff. And so it's it's good to kind of get on here and, and be able to put some stuff on wax. Now, I know you mentioned I was a, a national champion. What what you didn't say is the team that I that my team beat um to win that national championship. You're really going to start the show with that. You're really going to bring up the fact that the team that I root for, the team that I grew up watching, the USC Trojans, you're going to bring up that game. That That is a painful, painful memory that you so often remind me of. And I do not want to get into that right now. We will talk about that game later on. We do not need to discuss that at the beginning of the show. We're not even five minutes in the show and you're already bringing it up, rubbing it in my face, Marcus. But what I want to talk about is just your experience as a young man, as a junior in high school, as a senior in high school, being recruited by what you told me, just about every single team in the pack, in the pack, uh, well, the Big Ten, the Big 12 at the time, excuse me, the Big 12, and multiple teams in the Pac-10. So just tell me about that process and what decisions and what that decision-making process was like for you and your family at such a young age. Yeah, for sure, man. I, I'll say, you know, first off, I was I was blessed um, that my, my father played running back uh, for Texas Tech. Um, and so, you know, he had kind of seen it all um, while he was there. It, you know, he had spent some time under, you know, both Bill Parcells and Romeo Cornell. Um, so, you know, he had been coached by elite coaches and then um, had a couple family friends that both had spent some time at the University of Texas and then both went on to uh, play in the National Football League. So for me, um, you know, I, I had a vantage point where I had, um, you know, some older men around me that had already been through the process. They'd seen it all. So, you know, a college coach couldn't come into my living room um, and try and sugarcoat or, or BS me with anything. Right. Because my dad was able to see straight through it. You know, I could I had people I could 
mentors that I could bounce questions off of. And, um, you know, that's something that I, I've never lost sight of the fact that not everybody has that. Right. Um, you know, recruiting is, it's kind of a dirty game, man. If you think, and it's not about money or anything like that. Sure. That stuff happens. But, but what I'm talking about more so is, and you got to think they're going into these, these college coaches that are now being paid millions and millions of dollars, right? This is how they eat. I mean, this is how they feed their families. And they're going into the homes of 17 and 18 year old kids trying to convince them why their program is better than any of the other number ones, you know, that are coming after them. Um, and, and the best illustration I can give you for it is, uh, and, and hopefully uh, you have some listeners that have seen this movie. If not, I would encourage everyone to, to check it out. But there was a movie uh, that came out probably what was, I guess, the 90s, I bet, called The Program. And uh, there was a running back. You know, he's the star guy they're going after. And so he, he comes on a recruiting visit and they have the band waiting for him. And, you know, they have all these cheerleaders, you know, yelling after him. He's He's the man. Right. And then you know, he ends up signing with them and he comes back to report for camp and he pulls up and there's no band, there's no fanfare. It's just the coaches waiting on him. Right. And it's like, it's not even the head coaches. It's like some assistants or something. Um, and he's like, where's, you know, where's everybody at? And they were like, that was just to get you. You're here now. And that's really what recruiting is. You know, they, they show you all the bells and whistles, the glitz and glamour. Um, and, you know, hopefully you have some, the majority of coaches, I think, you know, try to do the right thing, but at the end of the day, this is about wins and losses, you know? So, um, I'm sure we'll get to talking about, you know, how we're evaluating prospects and stuff, but you got to keep in mind that uh, the way a college coach may use the player is going to be more advantageous to helping that college win games than it is potentially helping that player get to the NFL. And sometimes you're lucky enough to marry the two, but that college coach's responsibility first and foremost is to win football games at the collegiate level. So, um, you know, I would say my experience was great. You know, I, I enjoyed taking visits. Um, you know, I had a, a awesome class that I came in with and we all just kind of clicked up and decided, you know, that we wanted to uh, try and take Texas to the next level. And, and I think we were successful in doing that. Um, but I mean, you know, I, I go on, I go on my visit, man, to UT. And I guess that would, would have been the 2001 season. Right. And I'm walking into, you know, a, a locker room after the game with guys like Chris Sims and major Applewhite and Corey Redding and um, you name it. And I'm going to bring up a couple other guys later, but it, it was just, it was really impressive to see and, and to see the way the, the guys kind of worked. Um, it was something that I was really drawn to. So you made a very, very good point that I have to drive home about coaches and their priorities. The coach's priority and prerogative in college is not to prepare the player, the athlete for the NFL. It's not to get Kyler Murray under center so he can practice his five and seven step drop. His priority, those coaches' priority is to win college football games. That's it. That is it. And if you so happen to develop into a NFL talent, an NFL product, then great. But if you really think that Lincoln Riley or Urban Meyer or the coach at Georgia Tech or Navy who runs these triple offenses, these triple option attack offenses are thinking about preparing these guys for the next level, you got another thing coming. And I've said it at, in the very early episodes of the DDP, just because a player doesn't do something doesn't mean they're incapable of doing it at the next level. Now, there are times where we think, and I thought that John Emery Jr. was going to come in and take that starting running back job by week five. But the best interest of LSU was to continue to ride Clyde edwards Elaire, who was an absolute dynamic, dynamite running back. And we talked about some leagues that we played in together, that we play in together. In one of our longest running home dynasty leagues, home football leagues, fantasy football leagues, you were led to a championship by Lamar Jackson and his fantastic dual threat capability skill set. But you played with a guy, you know, 15 years ago, whatever it was, named Vince Young, who also possessed that same type of skill, run, pass, but he was six foot five. 230 pounds. So just 
Tell me about what it was like competing on that team with those athletes during that time. Just, you know, not just any one particular game, but just being on that Texas team with all of that comp, all of that talent. What was it like being a part of that? Yeah, man. I mean, it's, it's like you said, like um, the, the best word to describe it was competitive. Um, we came every single day trying to rip each other's heads off. And it was just because we knew, you know, by doing that, we were going to make ourselves that much better. Um, it would be, um, I know this sounds kind of crazy in retrospect, but truthfully, like games were easy for us because, you know, our second and third string guys would have been starting at the majority of, you know, other, um, you know, other, other schools. And so, uh, you know, each, each and every day we just decided, you know, Hey, we're going to come in here and we're going to go to work. Um, we were very much, I, I, you know, I know you probably heard the term sometimes of like player led locker rooms. Uh, you, we were more, concerned about letting our boys down than our coaches. So they didn't really have to police us a whole lot by the time we got there to that 05 season. Um, and, and I mean, like I said, it, it ended up being kind of evidence through, through the, you know, the games. I mean, by the third quarter, I mean, you know, pretty much all the backups are coming in, right? Like we won the big 12 championship game 70 to three. I mean, you, you know, you don't really see stuff like that these days. So um, by the time it got to us playing USC, uh, we were overlooked, you know, I mean, you know, very well, like back then everybody they're, they're saying, you know, USC is the greatest team of all time, the dynasty, you know, people are saying they could beat the Browns, you know, they're, they're doing all these uh, mock matchups, but I mean, we were ready for that. And so, um, you know, for me and, and, you know, I, I you know, I told you before, it's kind of odd for me at times too, because by no means was I a superstar, I, you know, I primarily played special teams, but more than anything, that was because I played behind some really, really good guys. So, I mean, if you, you know, you back up when I get onto campus in 2002, uh, Derek Johnson is, um, you know, our starting linebacker. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, he just so happened to also be my host on my recruiting visit. And, uh, you know, a lot of times they pair you up with, you know, a couple people. And so it might be two guys would be in charge of two, um, you know, recruits, right? Well, it was myself and Larry Dibbles that were both on the visit and our hosts were Derek Johnson and Cedric Benson. So right away, like we knew, okay, like this is going to be something different, but I'll take it even a step further. You know, again, my freshman year, Chris Sims is our quarterback. Um, Corey Redding is, you know, our, our, uh, our stud defensive end, uh, play with guys like Marcus Tubbs and, and DD Lewis. And I mean, I could go on and on, but one that is even more timely that a lot of people just aren't as dialed into, uh, there's some guy that's coaching a game on Sunday by the name of Kyle Shanahan. He was a walk on wide receiver at the university of Texas. He was a senior, my freshman year. So, you know, I, as as this stuff just kind of unfolds and I look back on it, um, you know, I got teammates now that are coaching. There was another guy uh, by the name of Richard Hightower. He's kind of been with Kyle at different stops along the way, and he's now the 49ers special team coach. He was our special teams ace, you know, when I was I was there at UT. Um, and so. I had a really solid foundation and that's not even talking about your Roy Williams of the world. And, and um, you know, like you you pointed out Vince young and, and you name it. So by the time we got to the Oh five season, we were pretty battle tested. Um, and we had a lot of, you know, really talented guys that have gone on to do some amazing things. And so you made a very good point earlier about, you know, the LSU running back situation, our, our, you know, national championship season, there was a freshman kid by the name of Jamal Charles, but he didn't start. So, you know, it just, it just goes to show you that um, if you bring in a lot of talent, you, you have coaches that, you know, um, kind of know, you know, the squad and, and put them in a position to perform at their height, that competition feeds on itself. And so, um, I think that more than anything is what, you know, really continues to stand out to me to this day is that we were all hyper competitive um, and we were all in it, you know, for the right reasons so that we could all, you know, achieve that one goal. It sounds cliche, but I mean, if you you go back and look at those rosters that, you know, I was on for the, the you know, I'm redshirted. So for my my five years there. 
Um, we had a plenty of guys go on to have a lot of success uh, in the NFL um, and plenty that are even in the coaching profession now. And, and I think it's it all goes back to that competition. So I really want to go into that Rose Bowl game because a lot of people, a lot of college football purists, those who love the college football game, consider that to be one of, if not the best college football game ever played, ever. Like, let that sink in, ever played. And I don't know if you've ever truly thought about it like that, having been a part of it. I don't know if you've ever really sat back and said, man, I was really a part of this. But give us some insight into what that was like, what it was like in practice that week when you know you're going up against Matt Leinart and Reggie Bush and Lindell White and Pete Carroll. What it was like prepping for it for them, watching film on Reggie Bush because you play defense. You know, the thousands of people who listen to the show, we are not ever going to get a better, you know, insightful view of what it was like preparing to play in the greatest college football game ever played. So just tell us about that preparation and in that game in general. Yeah, man, it, it was pretty, you know, you're right. I mean, you know, now we're sitting here. Uh, you know, almost 15, 16 years removed from the game. Um, and I think, you know, as each year passes, I probably appreciate it a little bit more than I did at the time. At the time, you know, I'm 20, 21, 22 years old, you know, so we all think we're Superman, right? Um, and and they have all kinds of events um, out there in LA for us. We stayed right there in Culver City, but you go to all these different events throughout the week, um, you know, as a team, but USC is often at these same events. I remember us going to Disney World and like you would see them there and, you know, they're they're at home. Right. I mean, they're they're in L.A. You know, at that time, there's no no pro team in L.A. Um, and even to this day, when USC is humming, like that's the show in town. It's the Lakers and it's the Trojans. Right. So um, we we I remember us being at Disney World, man, and like. Reggie Bush is walking around at night with like black sunglasses on. Like you could, they just had like that Hollywood feel to them. And you could tell like, they just felt like they were untouchable. And, and, you know, when you get recruited, like you, you go on visits with guys, right? So like we knew Lindell and, um, you know, a number of the guys that were on their team um, just from the recruiting trails and camps and those kinds of things. But it was still like this air of like, they didn't think we belong. At least that's how we felt. And I mean, you, you, you know, like, you know, we have that saying that everything is bigger and better in Texas. So, I mean, like I said, we were, you know, walking around and, and, you know, knocking people in the dirt all year. Um, early in the season, you know, we went to USC and beat them at night and broke some kind of streak, you know, that they had. So we felt like we belonged and we felt like we weren't getting our just due. And so, um, we were all locked in, you know, we had, we had lots of fun at our practices, you know, um, we were listening to, you know, hip hop, uh, at practice before that was like the end thing. And now these guys these days, you know, they got DJs and stuff out there, right. We were kind of on the front end of a lot of that, um, because it just, it, it's what made us comfortable with it. It's how we, we felt we could play loose that way. And so, um, it was, I just remember it being a really focused week of practice, but not anything where we for any second thought that we weren't going to win that game. So, um, it was, it was an amazing experience, man. I think to your point, I probably don't fully appreciate it still to this day, you know, probably as I get older and, you know, it'll be the stories that we always, you know, tell kind of when we come back together, but, uh, it was, it was a really dope experience. Yeah, man. And I'll be honest, I, I vividly remember that time leading up to that game as a fan of USC. I did not think there was any way possible that you guys were going to be able to hang with Leonard and Bush and White and the wide receivers. I just, you know, I, I had just watched Reggie Bush cut up Fresno State for 500 total yards. I just seen Matt Leonard, you know, well on his way to winning the Heisman Trophy. So, yeah, you guys were definitely underrated going into that game. I'm going to give you another one. I'll give you I'll give you a, 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 a true story here. We played uh, we played Colorado um, in the regular season in conference. And I think they were ranked at that time. We beat them like 40 to 17. 
And that was a, a, a early game for us. So it was like the two thirty slot. Right. So we, we played that game. It was either two thirty slot or the early like evening slot, but we finished our game. We rushed to the locker room because USC's playing Notre Dame. And I'm sure you'll remember that was the, the Bush push game. Right. And we're we are cheering for USC because the whole, you know, from preseason through postseason, they were number one. We were number two. And that's who we wanted. We didn't we didn't want. And again, it just goes to that competitor. Like you always want to beat teams at their best. Right. You don't want teams to be able to use injury as an excuse or, you know, oh, if if we had been there. So we were in the locker room rooting for USC as the Bush push happened. Um, because we were, I mean, from, from August when everybody reported to camp, that was the collision course we were on. And, um, I'm sure it's maybe happened since then, but I don't know if it's happened a whole lot where the preseason number one and the preseason number two remain that way for the entire season and then met up in the national championship. All right. The people got to know who was imitating Reggie Bush at practice. Was it Jamal Charles? Was it somebody else? Who was, who was assuming that role? Um, nah, man. So I'll be honest with you, you know, Jamal, he had, he had made enough of an impact on our team to where, um, we, we needed him. So he couldn't really be on the scout team, but we also had a guy named Ramon's Taylor that, um, I mean, he was, he was a beast, man. Like if it weren't for some off the field stuff, he's literally one of the best athletes I've ever seen. And if you talk to any collegiate athlete, and I'm sure you'll tell me the exact same, right? Like, there's always those guys that had more talent than even the guys that went on to have long NFL careers. They just, it was one thing or another where they could never always put it together. But Ramont's was so dynamic and he, he scored a, a touchdown in that game. But I mean, sometimes we didn't even do scout team, man. We were, we were getting ready for that game ones versus ones. So, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't even about truly trying to emulate who Reggie was. It was like, we got cats that can go too. You know, this is fun. This is this is so fun and insightful and interesting to hear these takes and these experiences that you had playing on this team, because uh, I myself, you know, I played college football nowhere near the level that you were were able to compete at. I played Division two ball at Shadron State College before transferring to Texas Southern University. And the best player that I played with in college High school, I had an opportunity to play against DeMarco Murray in high school, Steven Jackson. So I played against some pretty good players uh, throughout my limited brief uh, football career. But Danny Woodhead was by far the best athlete I've ever seen in person with my own eyes. It's just what he did day in and day out at practice was incredible. What he did on the football field was ridiculous. I think at one point in time, he set the NCAA career rushing record. He broke Gale Sayers rushing record in Nebraska. And he was just so talented of an athlete. He literally left the football field, went to indoor track and made the national championship in the 60 meter dash with no practice. He was just that freaking good. So when you look back at a player like Vince Young, who some consider to be one of the greatest college quarterbacks in the history of the game, just how good was he? How talented was he? How special was he? And how good could you think he have been uh, in in the NFL? You know, it's obviously I'm biased, but you know, we marveled at the stuff he did every day. So when it came to games, it was like, okay, we've seen this a million times. Right. And I mean, you know, we talked about Lamar Jackson and we can even get into kind of like what I'm looking for when I'm, you know, making my selections and and how I try to analyze guys. But I think two things stand out one, you know, hyper competitive. Right. So, I mean, the dude, like, he backed down from no one, you know, as a true freshman, he, he redshirted. Um, so did I, so did, um, you know, some of those guys you called out, Justin Blaylock went on to have a great career with the Atlanta Falcons. He redshirted, uh, our starting center, Lyle Sinline. He went on to play for the Cardinals for a long time. He redshirted. And so our freshman year, I think our defense was maybe like top five in the country. And, and like I said, I mean, we had Corey Redding, uh, you know, Derek Johnson, Marcus Tubbs. So VY was like the scout team quarterback and he was killing them. I mean, to the point where it was like, okay, 
we kind of need to figure out a package for this guy. But, you know, then the rules were different. So you couldn't you didn't get the four games, you know, that these kids get now to where you can play some and still redshirt. And so it was one of those deals where they're like we just kind of knew we had something special. And and then the second thing, you know, you talk about Lamar earlier and the athlete that he is. And while they're different types of athletes, you have to keep in mind, like VY was an amazing runner. But not only was he an amazing runner, he was 6'5", 220. Right. So, I mean, you know, it's kind of like Trevor Lawrence, right? Like boys are bouncing off of him and he can shake you. And if he gets the corner, you're not catching him. So, um, you know, you combine that with, you know, he was for all the, you know, the all the stuff he took um, in the NFL. I mean, as a rookie, he led him to the playoffs. So, I mean, he the guy could play and he was a baller. He was a hyper competitive guy. Um, and I mean, just hands down, you know, the the best best player I've ever played with um, best you know, person I've ever had to face. You know, I used to have to go against him in practice daily. And it's just like you couldn't even get mad at yourself for not making plays because it's just like nobody you're not guys. You're not supposed to be that big, that fast, have that kind of arm. Um, and and he was doing it, man. What's your most fond memory of that whole situation, that team, whether it's the weight room, practice meetings, hanging outside of the game? Like, what are you going to remember when you look back 20 years from now? What's going to be your most fond memory of that uh, experience playing on that team with those guys? Man, I'll tell you, I've thought about that a lot. And um, especially like with the passing of Kobe Bryant here recently, like the stuff that always sticks out. And I think people maybe sometimes underestimate like how much we as athletes really mean it. And I'm 100 percent sure you can appreciate this, too, Ray. It was really just being around my boys in the locker room, like we spent so much time at that facility and like as great as it was to have the support of the school, like you're kind of dip, you're very different, right? Like your schedule is very regimented because you have to have classes pretty much in the mornings because your afternoons have to be free for practice, uh, film, weightlifting, uh, training room, and then study hall that at night. So it's like, it's a whole other football a whole other full-time job almost. So you're, you're spending so much time with these guys, man. And we just had so many like awesome memories. Um, <laughs> you know, Red McCombs uh, has a, a big old ranch uh, somewhere here on the outskirts of Austin. I want to say it's in like Johnson city and uh, you know, he's Minnesota Vikings owner for a long time. And I mean, just tons of money. Right. And um, we used to go out there to to break camp every year. You know, at the end of camp, we would go out to his ranch. He had all kinds of cars that we could drive around his ranch and they had all these exotic animals and you name it. Um, and we would end it with like this big steak dinner. And, um, I, I, you know, just all, there's so many memories. Like I can't really just pinpoint one. I mean, obviously winning the national championship was was the best athletic memory, but the, the the thing I truly miss is just the camaraderie with my boys. And, and it's really cool to see how we've all grown up. We've evolved. You know, like I said, I mean, Kyle Shanahan's coaching in the Super Bowl. Um, little no, another little known fact, right? Kendall Bryles was a defensive back at Texas um, in the same recruiting class as Michael Huff. He and Michael Huff were roommates. And then when Art Bryles took the job at U of H, Kendall transferred. You know, Kendall's had a, a pretty good career in, in you know, college as an offensive coordinator. So I, I just got to be around hyper competitive people that had really brilliant football minds. Um, and, you know, we, we still all stay in touch to this day. Matter of fact, we just got an email um, today from our Letterman Association of when our reunion is. So, you know, it's usually around the spring game each year. Um, and that's, you know, one of uh, several times throughout the year that we all get up, man. But, uh, you know, like I said, no cliche here whatsoever. It's just it's uh, truly the best memories are just us kicking it, you know, as, as college kids trying to trying to figure it out. It's the guys, man. <laughs> that's what it is. It's the guys. I could not agree more when I close my eyes and think back. I, I don't I don't envision the games. I don't think about people cheering in the stands. I don't think about touchdowns or tackles or interceptions. I think about the guys 
just being with them, being at my friend's parents' house for Thanksgiving, being waking up at 5 a.m. to go to workouts with the guys. It's just the boys, man. You miss those guys. Yeah. And it's like you said, you know, when you were talking about people's houses, you know, like I said, I, I was from Austin and our class was the very last class before they started letting guys enroll in the summer. Right. So when, you know, when boys wanted to come work out, like they were on their own, you know, the school couldn't put you up anywhere. Well, I lived here. So we would, we would have guys come into town for a week or two at a time. Uh, and they'd stay at the crib with, with me and my parents. So I'm talking, it, it wasn't uncommon for my mom to come home from work in the summer and me, Vince Young, Selvin Young, um, it was a guy we had named Albert Hardy, uh, Matthew Melton. I mean, any number of guys, right? We just sprawled out in the living room after workouts playing video games, right? Back then, NCAA was the thing. So I'm hoping they bring that back. But that's how we spend our time, man. And, and, and we enjoyed it to the fullest. So let's hit on some fantasy relevant topics that are, you know, especially hot right now because it's rookie draft season. And you and I understand, and most people out there probably understand, or maybe they don't, that in NCAA, there are practice limitations on each sport. There are only so many hours in the day that kids can be actually practicing on their competitive fields, whether it's a football field, volleyball court, whatever it is. You've got a certain time restriction on that. You have a time restriction on how much film you can watch with the coaching staff. So there are all of these sort of measures put in place to make sure that amateurism stays in place, that you are a student, then athlete. So when you look at the fantasy community or the NFL draft community, and you see a lot of different people sort of knocking these players for things that they can't do, for things that they have not shown uh, proficiency in, uh, it at the college level, whether that be the quarterback, whether that be running back in pass protection, whether that be a diverse route tree for a wide receiver, whether that be playing in man coverage for a defensive back, we tend to really knock some of those guys down for not showing that. But I, I co-host the Dynasty Blueprint with Ryan McDowell and Matt Williamson, and he said when he was covering the Steelers, he asked Jalen Samuels, how often did you practice pass protection at North Carolina State? And Jalen Samuels flat out told him, we didn't. I, I never did it. We we didn't have time to do that. So, you know, just how much time do you remember? And I know you're still connected with UT. How much time is spent on the subtle nuances of the game? You know, footwork, route running, pass protection, uh, zone versus man coverage. How much time is actually being spent on that? And should we be knocking players who don't show that skill set? I'm not saying we we downgrade the players that do, but those that don't show that skill set coming out of college to the NFL, should we be discounting them that much? You know, it kind of goes back to what I was saying about it being like a player-led locker room. That time to work on those nuances was on the player. It's like you said, the coach. we didn't have a lot of time for our coaches to just spend all day on itty-bitty things like that. One, they weren't allowed to. Um, two, you know, they're prepping for game plans. They got to do installs, you name it. And so where you see the truly elite typically come in is they they have that work ethic that they do it on their own. And so we had a lot of guys that would stay before and after practice. And you, you what you hope to build your program up to is that you have a number of guys that are highly su- successful and they teach the younger guys, you know. So, again, going back to you know, I, I step on campus day one and I'm around guys like Chris Sims and Corey Redding and Roy Williams and Cedric Benson. And they'd already seen live bullets so they could tell us what it was going to be like. They could show us in the summer times, you know, during the seven on seven practices when the coaches can't be around. But, you know, again, like these coaches, their number one job is to win college football games. Now, more times than not, if you're bringing in elite talent, you're coaching them up well, and you're winning a lot of games, the numbers are going to come. The attention from those you know, scouts is going to come. You name it. But um, sometimes there's guys that are in situations that, that just, um, you know, they, they, they're just not used that particular way. I'll give you an example. Um, I, I, I tagged you on a, a video of Colin Johnson running a route at the Senior Bowl, right? I've never seen Colin run that route in four years at UT. 
Colin is 6'6", six, six, uh, every bit of 6'6", six, six. not a 6'4", not a and he got pumped up. He's a legit 6'6". Six, six. His wingspan's out of this world. And more times than not, we had him running, you know, deep digs. And he's like sprawling out of bounds, you know, catching catching stuff, high pointing the ball. But he, he was never asked to run a diverse route tree. Um, and so you never always know what's going on behind the scenes to where some of these guys don't translate. And there's, you know, several guys that I'm looking at, you know, for this coming year that I think there's other guys that have a considerable amount more of height because you have, you know, that one faction that says, well, he didn't produce. And it's like, well, what was, what was their scheme? Was their quarterback any good? Were they playing from behind? Was there anybody else on their team to divert the attention away from this guy? And so sometimes you have to get past, you know, just some of the numbers and the analytics. And and don't get me wrong. I love numbers, man. Like, you know, I'm a nerd. I spreadsheet everything to death um, in my in my full time job. You know, I'm, I'm a financial analyst for your favorite tech companies, favorite tech companies. So, like, I understand the importance of. Yeah. I mean, I, I get the importance of numbers and analytics and all these, but it's it's that's just a piece of the pie. Right. And so I think it's great that teams are doing more and more to incorporate that in their evaluation of players. Um, but there's a reason why they still have scouts. You know, these guys go to the practices. I mean, we, we had you know, when I was there, we had four or five, six, seven scouts at every single practice because you can't just look at a box score. You can't just look at what's going on 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 a Saturday, um, you have to kind of peel back the onion and, and see what all is is taking place. You're a Big 12 alum. You watch every University of Texas game that comes on TV and you're at half of them. So you've seen a lot of good wide receivers in the Big 12, especially in this this year's upcoming draft class. Jalen Rager, Tywin Wallace, CeeDee Lamb. I know Tywin Wallace isn't coming out, but like it or not, every Saturday, whether we want to or not, Alabama's playing on TV. So we've been seeing Jerry Judy and all those guys for years and years and years. But for your money, from what you've seen, who's the better wide receiver prospect? Is it CeeDee Lamb or is it Jerry Judy? You know, I, I, I uh, to your point, I have my DLF subscription. I've seen your rankings. I, I've, uh, I've, I've bumped them up against my own, right? So I, I promise you for your listeners, Ray and I have not talked about this. Um, we have not, he has not planted me to say this, but um, CD is, a, CD Lamb is a different kind of guy in that he's just big, he's explosive, he's raw. I see a lot of uh, Devontae Adams type, in his game, but maybe not, you know, I think Devontae is an elite, elite route runner. And so I don't know if he can ever reach that true height, but my favorite out of all of them, man, is Jalen Raker. Look at us. Hey, look at us. Look at us. Huh? Who would have thought? Not me. And I, I just, I think guys, um, undersell what, you know, it's like being on TCU's team. You know, again, if you don't watch a whole lot of big 12 football, you're not going to see them right there. They haven't been the best as of late. Um, they had a true freshman quarterback this year, and that's on the heels of having a revolving door of quarterbacks in other years. Um, but he's just different, man. That guy, when the ball's in the air, he's going to go get it. Um, he has a gear that I don't think most people are aware of. I'm not going to sit here and tell you I can predict how he's going to test. But, um, you know, I, I often trust, uh, I, you know, I often go with the eyeball test, man. And I mean, there's plays I've seen him make um, that I would literally put him up against anybody in the country. And if if you were to put him on an Alabama or a Clemson, um, you'd have a whole lot more people talking about him. So somebody somebody in the NFL is going to get a really, really good player. And, and he's going to play for a long time if he can stay healthy. So I've got to ask you about Jalen Hurts because there was a point in the season where I was really high on him. I had him right behind Tua and Burrow, his skill set, his leadership, all the intangibles. He can make throws sometimes, but just off of what you see, being in the Big 12, watching these games, paying attention to the Oklahoma Sooners, what are your thoughts about what are your thoughts on Jalen Hurts? Does he have what it takes to be a successful NFL quarterback or do you think it's a great story? He's a great leader, a good guy you want in your locker room, but never going to be able to produce uh, consistent fantasy points for us. 
for him, I, I personally believe that it would take a team fully committing to him in the way that uh, the Ravens did with Lamar Jackson. Um, you know, I think now with Lamar's success, you know, there'll probably be some guys that are going to get overdrafted and, and, you know, would owe him um, a, a great deal of thanks for making them a lot of money. Um, but if I'm honest, I don't think in a vacuum you can drop Jalen Hurts on any team. I think he's very limited as a passer. Um, I know that to, for some that sounds, you know, like a cheap narrative, but even when we played him this year, um, you could just tell, you know, if you can, if you can find a way to limit the pass, I mean, he, he benefited from having a guy like CD lamb, right. Where he can, he can kind of chunk it up and he's going to make a play, but um, you know, he, he also turns it over a good bit. And, you know, I've always lived by the, you know, if you, if you turn it over in college, uh, it's kind of like they, they say with marriage, right? Like it, it doesn't get any easier. And so it's the same deal. You know, uh, Jameis Winston threw a whole bunch of picks in college. He throws a whole bunch of picks in the NFL. Um, you know, so it, it, a lot of things don't change in that respect. So for me, um, you know, I, I personally don't see, you know, Jalen Hurst being like a, a franchise quarterback. Um, you know, he, he could certainly be a, a competent backup. And if he gets into, you know, a system that truly builds around him, um, he could have some success, but, but I don't see him anywhere in the stratosphere of, you know, the Lamars of the world. Wait a minute. Hold on, Marcus. Hold on. What have I done? I've committed a grave error in this interview. Hold on. Stop the tape. What the hell have I done? <laughs> we are talking about Oklahoma and I did not mention Adrian Peterson, what, what you played against him? What am I doing? I'm sorry. Go back, go back, go back, rewind 30 minutes, go back to Adrian Peterson. I'm so, what, what have I done? Man, listen, so, uh, Adrian, so that's, so that's why I was qualifying what I said that VY was the best guy I've ever played with. Um, obviously we had to practice against them a good bit, but the best athlete that I've ever in a game and this includes Reggie Bush was Adrian Peterson. Um, Adrian Peterson's, let's see his freshman year. I think he was a year after me. So his freshman year, when we played him, that would have been 2003. Um, I'm almost a hundred percent sure um, that it was either 2003 or 2004. Maybe it was 2004. At any rate, true freshman, I'm pretty sure he ripped off like 200 yards against us. So like the guy was literally a man amongst boys from Palestine, Texas and, and East Texas there. So, I mean, yeah, yeah. I just looked it up while we're sitting here talking. Um, OU that year was number two going into that game. We were number five. They won 12 to nothing. 32 carries, 225 yards as a true freshman. So watching him, he was just that good. You knew like this guy has it. He, 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 he had burst, man. Um, you know, he was, he was a, a, a lot of guys, you know, in the state of Texas run track. Um, he was, he was a track athlete. You know, if he got a step on you, you're not catching him. Uh, he could run through you. He could run around you. Came from a very athletic family. Um, and you know, straight up, like he, he wanted to come to UT. OU was beating us just about every year at that point in time. And so he chose to go to OU. Um, you know, cool guy. Anytime I see him to this day, we still chop it up. But I mean, that, that dude was a man amongst boys. Like he's, he's one of the few, he's the only guy that I personally have seen that I think could have gone from high school to the NFL. All right. So I know that you're still very much connected, very well connected with the University of Texas football program. So I don't want you to give us too much insider information, but I have to ask you who's coming next. Who should we be on the lookout for on that team? And I have to give you all credit on this show. I've talked about Devin DuVernay and Jake Smith and Keontae Ingram and you're the guy who told me about these guys. You told me about Jake Smith. You told me at the beginning of the season, Ray, watch out for Devin DuVernay. He's going to pop. So coming into this 2020 football season, who do we need to have our eye on? Is it Epps? Is it uh, Brennan Eagles? Is it Bijan Robinson? Is it Jake Smith? 
what are we doing with Keontae Ingram, who I've got quite a few shares of in Debbie? So give us give us some insight of what's coming next for the Longhorns. Sure, man. So, so I think before you even get to the guys, you gotta you gotta keep in mind University of Texas pretty much overhauled their entire staff this offseason. So from an off- offensive perspective, um, you think about all the great Oklahoma State offenses of the over the years, uh, even how you know dynamic. Um, Ohio State's offense was this past year. Um, and our new offensive coordinator is a guy that was at both places, a guy by the name of Mike Yersich. Um, and he was most recently with Justin Fields and J.K. Dobbins at Ohio State. So um, the offense is going to change some. Um, I think he'll do a much better job of getting guys the ball in space, um, playing t- to Sam Ellinger's strengths, things of that nature. And so, you know, I, I start there because they're going to be installing kind of a new system um, using a lot of the same terminology this coming spring. Um, And so with that, I think some of those guys that you spoke of, the Jake Smiths of the world, um, Jordan Whittington, um, they, they really should take off this year. And and, uh, unfortunately Jordan Whittington suffered, you know, a number of injuries um, this year to where he wasn't able to, you know, put on the full display uh, of his talents, but there's, there's some talk that, you know, he may actually, play some wide receiver, which, you know, if you kind of remember when he was coming in, um, he came out of a small town in uh, Quero High School uh, here in the state of Texas, and he was a wildcat quarterback there, but he also played safety, um, state championship game, put up some absurd numbers, was the defensive and offensive MVP. So just a really, really talented kid with the ball in his hands. Um, So I think we'll see a lot of him this year. Um, I talked to you uh, earlier in the season, too, about a guy by the name of Brennan Eagles. Um, he's still, uh, you know, is in the program. I think he'll be coming up on his junior year. So big, fast, talented athlete. Um, and then, uh, we signed a five-star running back, uh, in Jordan Whittington. Uh, I'm sorry, not Jordan Whittington, Bijan Robinson, my bad. Um, Bijan Robinson. So those would probably be the three that, that I would tell you, you know, to keep an eye on. I, I won't go as far to tell your listeners to sell their stock in Keontae Ingram. I'll just say, you know, I, I'm not convinced that, um, you know, he's he's going to be a stud at the next level. Um, he just kind of seems to be up and down in, in some of the bigger games that we had this year. Um, you know, he, he was he wasn't his impact wasn't felt, I'll say um, so much so that we had a, a true freshman that signed with us as a quarterback. But because of so many injuries had to convert to running back. Um, in Roshan Johnson, and he often outperformed Keontae Ingram. So um, he did end the season on a high note when we played against Utah. But I would say, um, you know, for my money's worth, I would say Jake Smith, Jordan Whittington, uh, Brennan Eagles. Uh, yeah, those would be my guys. And then, you know, true freshman, like I said, you got your B. John Robinson. And I'll give you one more wide receiver. He didn't he didn't play much this year, but he's at a kid out of St. Louis by the name of Marcus Washington. I, I keep an eye on him also. And when it comes to Keontae Ingram, man, I just, I think back to one play that seemed like it just tanked his season. It was versus LSU. Oh, they were going me. into the end zone and he dropped that touchdown pass. And it seemed like after that, his confidence was just completely shot. And you you hit it on the head, man. You you know, being around these, being around athletes and, and even to this day, right? Like even as as you doing your fantasy analysis and, and uh, you know, making picks and trading for draft picks and you name it, like confidence is still the name of the game, right? Like a lot of times people are going to try and psych you out because, you know, they see something in a particular person or they've identified something that they want. And so they're going to, you know, everybody's going to have their spin, but if, if you can be confident in what your take is, you have a sound process. I know um, that, that, you know, term gets used a lot in the fantasy world, but for me, that's something I live by. Like I definitely am a process over results guy. And so I, I try to, kind of maintain the same process, you know, from year to year, tweak it when it makes sense. Um, but just because something, you know, didn't, you know, work out again, any number of things can take place that can, can skew the results. But if you have a sound process and, and you stick with that, uh, I think you're going to have success more times. Than that. It's not every day. Somebody gets an opportunity to talk to a national champion, someone who played college football at the absolute highest level, somebody who plays 
uh, fantasy football who participates in Dynasty to come on here and shed some light into their experiences on the field playing Division One college football. So I can't thank you enough. I'm sure the listeners of the show enjoyed this interview. They enjoyed your insight. They enjoyed your perspective. And I know that you are not a fantasy analyst. You don't write for all these different sites. But if there's anything out there that you want the listeners to know about you, uh, any projects that you have going on in the works, anything about Marcus Myers, please, this is your opportunity. Let these people know where they could find you and connect with you at. Yeah, man, you're, for sure. You know, you're right. I mean, I I, I can't say, you know, I've, I've put in uh, probably near the uh, near the uh, traditional, you know, time that you have in the way of doing analysis. But trust me, I'm listening to all your podcasts. I read your articles. So, um, you know, for, for what it's worth, uh, you know, I certainly value, you know, the stuff that you put together, man. I think you have a really firm grasp on, on, on this game. And so I would just encourage your listeners to continue to, you know, listen in to Ray. Um, you know, I don't think I'm in any leagues with any of y'all, so I can, I can tell you to do that. I'm not telling any of the other fellas too, um, that we're in leagues with. Cause I think, I think you and I have a, a upper hand on some of them just because some of them don't pay as close attention, but you know, I'm, I'm, you know, personally, uh, man, I just, I love, I love the game. Um, I've, I've loved it since what third grade when I started. And so I watch it avidly. Uh, I'm trying to get more, you know, uh, active on Twitter. So if, if anybody's ever looking for me, I'm, I'm Marcus Myers anywhere. Um, M-A-R-C-U-S-M-Y-E-R-S. I don't have any cool nicknames. So you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and those spots if you ever want to chop it up or you have you know, any, anything that you'd be wanting to run by me, I, I'm always down for a good debate, uh, as, as Ray well knows. Um, and so, I mean, yeah, man, you know, like I said, I, I think, um, you know, this game brings all kinds of people from all walks of life and all different perspectives together. And I think I heard you say on one of your podcasts here lately, you know, you have, you have these elements of Twitter where it's like, everybody wants to, you know, kind of pile on to a particular take and, and that's fine. You know, there's a place for it, but I think everyone could be better players to just open themselves up to different perspectives um, because at the end of the day, it's just more information and, and you can ultimately make that decision. And I think that's the best part of fantasy football is we all get to be our own GMs. Right. And we get to, to kind of distill whatever information is out there uh, and use it in, in the way that, you know, we think is best. So um, I would just encourage folks to, you know, don't turn a blind eye to something just because you don't agree with it. You know, maybe try and try and take a different uh, glance at it or look at it from a different perspective. And, and you might just be able to find your own Lamar Jackson in the 10th round. I got one more question for you before I let you go. Are the Dallas Cowboys going to win the Super Bowl this year? Oh, don't do this to me, Ray. Um, you know, so Ray and I are also in in a Cowboys group chat together, and I like to consider myself the realist of the group. I, I just, you know, I've spent I've spent so much energy uh being, you know, okay, you gotta keep in mind, man, I'm a Longhorn fan. And like, I can't, you know, like I'm stuck there. Right. I'm choosing to be a Cowboys fan and both of them drive me nuts. So I can't allow myself to have these delusions of grandeur. I need to see it before I can believe it. And so, um, you know, there's guys that I like, uh, there's, there's, you know, players that i think would be ideal for the Cowboys. I'll tell you this. I, I mean, you know, right. Like I was talking about Mike McCarthy before most people, we're talking about Mike McCarthy. So I'm, I'm at least impressed by the staff he's putting together. Uh, I think his time away from the game is going to prove beneficial, um, but I'm still in wait and see mode. All right. That's going to do it for this episode of the Destination Debbie podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. Really, really, really appreciate our guest Marcus coming on and giving us some insight into that team and what it was like to play on that special historic team. If you guys enjoyed it, which I know you did, if you guys enjoy this show, which I know you do, then I need you to please go over to iTunes and smash those five stars. Type something in the box that says the show has helped you out. You enjoy it. You appreciate it. I see the download numbers and the download numbers aren't equaling up to what's on iTunes. So if you can take 20 seconds to go do that, I would greatly, 
appreciate it. I want to continue to get fantastic guests like Marcus on, like Curtis Patrick. I got to get Ryan McDowell on the show. Ryan McDowell said he's not coming on the show until I have 200 likes on 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 the podcast. Like he says, it's he's not wasting time with small fries like me. So if you want to hear Ryan McDowell come on and talk rookies, talk Debbie, let's make this thing and continue to push this because it is the best damn Debbie podcast in the world. And I can't thank you all enough for listening. I appreciate every ear. I appreciate your time, but I'm rambling. You know what's next. Drop the music. <laughs>